0: chapter 6 of babbitt this sleepervox recording is in the public domain recording by mike vendetti mikevendetti.com babbitt by sinclair lewis chapter 6 he forgot paul risling in an afternoon of not unagreeable details after a return to his office which seemed to have staggered on without him he drove a prospect out to view a four-flat tenement in the linton district he was inspired by the customer's admiration of the new cigar lighter thrice its novelty made him use it and thrice he hurled half-smoked cigarettes from the car protesting i got to quit smoking so blame much their ample discussion of every detail of the cigar-lighter led them to speak of electric flat-irons and bed-warmers Fabbit apologized for being so shabbily old-fashioned as still to use a hot-water bottle and he announced that he would have the sleeping porch wired at once he had enormous and poetic admiration though very little understanding of all mechanical devices they were his symbols of truth and beauty regarding each new intricate mechanism metal lathe two-jet carburetor machine-gun oxytocin welder he learned one good realistic sounding phrase and used it over and over with a delightful feeling of being technical and initiated the customer joined him in the worship of machinery and they came buoyantly up to the tenement and began that examination of plastic slate roof, calamine doors, and seven-eighth-inch blind-nailed flooring. Began those diplomacies of hurt surprise and readiness to be persuaded to do something they had already decided to do, which would some day result in a sale. On the way back, Babbitt picked up his partner and father-in-law, Henry T. Thompson, at his kitchen cabinet works, and they drove through South Zenith, a high-colored banging exciting region new factories of fa'alo tile with gigantic wire-glass windows surly old red-brick factories stained with tar high-perched water-tanks big red trucks like locomotives and on a score of hectic side-tracks far-wandering freight cars from the new york central and apple orchards the great Northern and wheat plateaus the southern pacific and orange groves They talked to the secretary of the Zenith Foundry Company about an interesting artistic project—a cast iron fence for Linden Lane Cemetery. They drove on to the Zico Motor Company and interviewed the sales manager, Noel Ryland, about a discount on a Zico car for Thompson. Babbitt and Royland were fellow members of the Boosters Club, and no booster felt right if he bought anything from another booster without receiving a discount. But Henry Thompson growled, Oh to hell with them. I'm not going to crawl around mooching discounts not from nobody. It was one of the differences between Thompson, the old fashioned lean Yankee, rugged, traditional stage tripe, of American businessman and Babbitt, the plump, smooth, efficient, up to the minute, and otherwise perfected modern. Whenever Thompson twanged, put your John Hancock on that line. Abbott was as much amused by the antiquated provincialism as any proper Englishman by any American. He knew himself to be of a breeding altogether more aesthetic and sensitive than Thompson's. He was a college graduate, he played golf, he often smoked cigarettes instead of cigars, and when he went to Chicago he took a room with a private bath. The whole thing is, he explained to Paul Riesling, These old codgers lack the subtlety that you have to have today. This advance in civilization could be carried too far, Babbitt perceived. Noel Ryland, sales manager of the Zico, was a frivolous graduate of Princeton, while Babbitt was a sound and standard wearer from the great department store, the State University. Ryland wore spats. He wrote long letters about city planning and community singing, and though he was a booster, he was known to carry in his pockets small volumes of poetry in a foreign language all this was going too far henry thompson was the extreme of insularity and noel ryland the extreme of frothiness while between them supporting the state defending the evangelical churches and domestic brightness and sound business were babbitt and his friends with this just estimate of himself and with the promise of a discount on thompson's car he returned to his office in triumph. But as he went through the corridor of the Reeves building he sighed. Poor old Paul. I got to Oh, damn Noel Ryland, damn Charlie McKivity. Just because they make more money than I do, they think they're so superior. I wouldn't be found dead in their stuffy old union club. I, somehow today I don't feel like going back to work. Oh well. two. He answered telephone calls, he read the four-o'clock mail, he signed his morning's letters, he talked to a tenant about repairs, he fought with Stanley Graff. Young Graff, the outside salesman, was always hinting that he deserved an increase of commission, and today he complained, I think I ought to get a bonus if I put through the Healer sale. I'm chasing around and working on it every single evening, almost. Babbitt frequently remarked to his wife, that it was better to con your office help along and keep em happy instead of jumping on em and poking em up get more work out of em that way but this unexampled lack of appreciation hurt him and he turned on graph look here stan let's get this clear you've got an idea somehow that it's you that do all the selling where'd you get that stuff where'd you think you'd be if it wasn't for our capital behind you and our lists of properties and all the prospects we find for you all you got to do is follow up our tips and close the deal the hall porter could sell babbitt thompson listings you say you're engaged to a girl but have to put in your evenings chasing for buyers well why the devil shouldn't you what do you want to do sit around holding your hand Let me tell you, Stan, if your girl is worth her salt, she'll be glad to know you're out hustling, making some money to furnish the home nest instead of doing the lovey-dovey. The kind of fellow that kicks about working overtime, that wants to spend his evenings reading trashy novels or spooning and exchanging a lot of nonsense and foolishness with some girl, he ain't the kind of upstanding, energetic young man with a future. And with vision that we want here. How about it? what's your ideal anyway do you want to make money and be a responsible member of the community or do you want to be a loafer with no inspiration or pep graf was not so amiable to vision and ideals as usual you bet i want to make money that's why i want that bonus honest mr babbitt i don't want to get fresh but this Heller house is a terror nobody'll fall for it the flooring is rotten and the walls are full of cracks that's exactly what i mean to a salesman with a love for his profession it's hard problems like that that inspire him to do his best besides stan matter of fact thompson and i are against bonuses as a matter of principle we like you and we want to help you so you can get married but we can't be unfair to the others on the staff if we start giving you bonuses don't you see we're going to hurt the feelings and be unjust to peniman and laylock Right's right, and discrimination is unfair, and there ain't going to be any of it in this office. Don't get the idea, Stan, that because during the war salesmen were hard to hire, now when there's a lot of men out of work, there aren't a slew of bright young fellows that would be glad to step in and enjoy your opportunities, and not act as if Thompson and I were his enemies, and not do any work except for bonuses. How about it, eh? How about it? oh well gee of course sighed graft as he went out crabwise. babbitt did not often squabble with his employees he liked to like the people about him he was dismayed when they did not like him it was only when they attacked the sacred purse that he was frightened into a fury but then being a man given to oratory and high principles he enjoyed the sound of his own vocabulary and the warmth of his own virtue to-day he had so passionately indulged in self-approval that he wondered whether he had been entirely just after all stan isn't a boy any more oughtn't to call him so hard but rats got to haul folks over the coals now and then for their own good unpleasant duty but i wonder if stan is sore you saying to mcgowan out there so chill a wind of hatred blew from the outer office that the normal comfort of his evening home-going was ruined he was distressed by losing that approval of his employees to which an executive is always slave ordinarily he left the office with a thousand enjoyable fussy directions to the effect that there would undoubtedly be important tasks tomorrow, and miss mcgowan and miss would do well to be there early, and, for heaven's sake, remind him to call up Cornell Lighty. Soon as he came in, to-night he departed with feigned and apologetic liveliness. He was as afraid of his still-faced clerks, of the eyes focused on him. Miss McGowan staring with head lifted from her typing, Miss Bannigan looking over her ledger, Matt Peniman craning around at his desk in the dark alcove. Stanley Graff, sullenly expressionless, as a parvo before the bleak promontory of his butler. He hated to expose his back to their laughter, and in his efforts to be casually merry he stammered and was recklessly friendly and oozed wretchedly out the door. But he forgot his misery when he saw from Smith Street the charms of floral heights the roofs of red tile and green slate the shining new sun-parlors and the stainless walls three he stopped to inform howard littlefield his scholarly neighbor that though the day had been spring-light the evening might be cold he went in to shout where are you and his wife with no very definite desire to know where she was he examined the lawn to see whether the furnace man had raked it properly with some satisfaction and a good deal of discussion of the matter with mrs babbitt ted and howard littlefield he concluded that the furnace man had not raked it properly he cut two tufts of wild grass with his wife's largest dressmaking scissors he informed ted that it was all nonsense having a furnace man big husky fellow like you you ought to do all the work around the house and privately he meditated that it was agreeable to have it known throughout the neighborhood that he was so prosperous that his son never worked around the house he stood on the sleeping porch and did his day's exercises arms out sideways for two minutes up for two minutes while he muttered ought to take more exercise keep in shape then went in to see whether his collar needed changing before dinner as usual it apparently did not The Lettish Croat maid, a powerful woman, beat the dinner gong. The roast beef, roasted potatoes, and string beans were excellent this evening, and after an adequate sketch of the day's progressive weather states, his $450 fee, his lunch with Paul Reisling, and the proven merits of the new cigar lighter, he was moved to a benign,
1: "'Sort of
0: thinking about buying a new car. Don't believe we'll get one till next year, but still we might.' Verona, the older daughter, cried, Oh, dad, if you do, why don't you get a sedan? That would be perfectly slick. A closed car is so much more comfy than an open one. Well, uh, I don't know about that. I kind of like an open car. You get more fresh air that way. Oh, shoot. Just because you've never tried a sedan, let's get one. It's got a lot more class, said Ted. A closed car does keep the clothes nicer, from Mrs. Babbitt you don't get your hair all blown to pieces from verona it's a lot sportier from ted and from Tinka the youngest oh let's have a sedan mary ellen's father has got one ted wound up oh everybody's got a closed car now except us babbitt faced them i guess you got nothing very terrible to complain about anyway i don't keep a car just to enable you children to look like millionaires and i like an open car so you can put the top down on summer evenings and go out for a drive and get some good fresh air besides closed car costs more money ah gee whiz if the dilapidors can afford a closed car i guess we can rotted ted (laughs) i make eight thousand a year to his seven but i don't blow it all in and waste it and throw it around the way he does don't believe in this business of going and spending a whole lot of money to show off and they went with a door and some thoroughness into the matters of streamlined bodies hill climbing power wire wheels chrome steel ignition systems and body colors it was much more than a study of transportation it was an aspiration for knightly rank in the city of zenith in the barbarous twentieth century a family motor indicated its social rank as precisely as the grades of the prairies determined the rank of an English family indeed more precisely considering the opinion of old country families upon newly created brewery barons and woolen-mill viscounts the details of precedence were never officially determined there was no court to decide whether the second son of a pierce arrow limousine should go for dinner before the first son of a Buick roadster but of their respective social importance there was no doubt and where babbitt as a boy had aspired to the presidency his son aspired to a packard twin six and an established position in the motor gentry the favor which babbitt had won from his family by speaking of a new car evaporated as they realized he didn't intend to buy one this year ted lamented ah punk the old boat looks as if it had fleas and been scratching its varnish off mrs babbitt said abstractedly "It's no way to talk to your father babbitt raged if you're too much of a high-class gentleman and you belong to the bon ton and so on why you needn't take the car out this evening ted explained "I i didn't mean and dinner dragged on with normal domestic delight to the inevitable point at which babbitt protested come come now we can't sit here all evening give the girl a chance to clear away the table he was fretting what a family i don't know how we all get to scrapping this way like to go off some place and be able to hear myself think paul Maine, wear old pants and loaf and cuss he said cautiously to his wife i've been in correspondence with a man in new york wants thee to see him about a real estate trade. May not come off till summer. Hope it doesn't break just when we and the Risling get together to go to Maine. Be a shame. Couldn't make the trip there together. Well no use worrying now. Peroni escaped immediately after dinner with no discussion save an automatic Why don't you ever stay home? From Babbitt. In the living room in a corner of the Davenport, Ted settled down to his home study plain geometry cicero and the agonizing metaphors of comus i don't see why they give us this old-fashioned junk by milton and shakespeare and wordsworth and all these has-beens he protested oh, i guess i could stand to see a show by shakespeare if they had swell scenery and put on a lot of dog but to sit down in cold blood and read em these teachers how do they get that way mrs babbitt darning sock speculated yes i wonder why of course i don't want to fly in the face of the professors and everybody but i do think there's things in shakespeare not that i read him much but when i was young the girls used to show me passages that weren't really they weren't at all nice babbitt looked up irritably from the comic strips in the evening advocate they composed his favorite literature and art these illustrated chronicles in which mr mutt hit mr jeff with a rotten egg and mother corrected father's vulgarisms by means of a rolling pin with the solemn face of a devotee breathing heavily through his open mouth he plodded nightly through every picture and during the rite he detested interruptions furthermore he felt that on the subject of shakespeare he wasn't really an authority Neither the Advocate Times, the Evening Advocate, nor the Bulletin of the Zenith Chamber of Commerce had ever had an editorial on the matter, and until one of them had spoken, he found it hard to form an original opinion. But even at risk of floundering in strange bogs, he could not keep out of an open controversy. "'I'll tell you why you have to study Shakespeare and those. It's because they're required for college entrance, and—' That's all there is to it. Personally, I don't see myself why they stuck them into an up to date high school system like we have here in this state. Be a good deal better if you took business English and learned how to write an ad or letters that would pull. But there it is, and there's no tall argument or discussion about it. Trouble with you, Ted, is you always want to do something different. If you're going to law school, and you are, i never had a chance to but i'll see that you do why you'll want to lay in all the english and latin you can get oh punk i don't see what's the use of law school nor even finishing high school i don't want to go to college specially honest there's a lot of fellows that have graduated from colleges that don't even begin to make as much money as the fellows that went to work early old shimmy peters that teaches latin in the high he's a what-is-it from columbia and he sits up all night reading a lot of crazy books and he's always spieling about the value of languages and the poor soul doesn't even make but eighteen hundred a year and no traveling salesman would think of working for that i know what i'd like to do i'd like to be an aviator or own a cork and big garage or else a fellow was telling me about it yesterday i'd like to be one of those fellows that the standard oil company sends out to china and you live in a compound and you don't have to do any work and you get to see the world and pagodas and the ocean and everything and then i could take up correspondence courses that's uh, real stuff you don't have to recite to some frosty-faced old dame that's trying to show off to the principal and you can study any subject you want to just listen to this i clipped these ads of some swell courses he snatched from the back of his geometry half a hundred advertisements of those home study courses which the energy and foresight of american commerce have contributed to the science of education the first displayed the portrait of a young man with a pure brow an iron jaw silk socks and hair like patent leather standing with one hand in his trouser pocket and the other extended with chiding forefinger he was bewitching an audience of men with gray beard paunches bald heads and every other sign of wisdom and prosperity above the picture was an inspiring educational symbol no antiquated lamp or torch or owl or manoeuvres but a row of dollar signs the text ran power and prosperity and public speaking a yarn told at the club who do you think i ran into the other evening at the deluxe restaurant old well, freddy durkee that used to be a dead or alive shipping clerk in my old place Mr. Mouseman, we used to laughingly call the dear fellow, one time he was so timid he was plumb scared of the super, and never got credit for the dandy work he did. Him at the Deluxe. And if he wasn't orderin' a Tony feed, with all the fixin' from celery to nuts, and instead of being embarrassed by the waiters like he used to be at the little dump where we lunched in old Lang Syne, he was bossing them around like he was a millionaire i cautiously asked him what he was doing freddie laughed and said say old chum i guess you're wondering what's come over me you'll be glad to know i'm now an assistant super at the old shop and right on high road to prosperity and domination and i look forward with confidence to a twelve cylinder car and the wife is making things hum in the best society and the kiddies getting a first-class education what we teach you how to address your lodge how to give toasts, how to tell dialect stories how to propose to a lady how to entertain banquets how to make convincing selling talks how to build a big vocabulary how to create a strong personality how to become a rational powerful and original thinker how to be a master man Prof. W. F. Peet, author of the Shortcut Course in Public Speaking, is easily the foremost figure in practical literature, psychology, and oratory, a graduate of some of our leading universities, lecturer, extensive traveler, author of books, poetry, etc., a man with the unique personality of the masterminds. He is ready to give you all the secrets of his culture and hammering force in a few easy lessons that will not interfere with other occupations. Here is how it happened. I ran across an ad of a course that claimed to teach people how to talk easily on their feet, and to answer complaints, how to lay a proposition before the boss, how to hit a bank for a loan, how to hold a big audience spellbound with wit, humor, anteced, inspiration, etc. It was compiled by the master orator, Professor Waldo F. Peet. I was skeptical, too. But I wrote, just on a postcard, with name and address, to the publisher for the lessons. Sent on trial. Money back, if you're not absolutely satisfied. There were eight simple lessons in plain language anybody could understand, and I studied them just a few hours a night, then started practicing on the wife. Soon found I could talk right up to the super and get due credit for all the good work I did. They began to appreciate me and advance me fast, and say, "Old oh, Doggo, what do you think they're paying me now? Six thousand five hundred dollars per year." And say, "I find I can keep a big audience fascinated speaking on any topic." As a friend, old boy, I advise you to send for circular, no obligation, and valuable free art picture too. Shortcut Educational Publishing Company, Desk W A Sandpit, Iowa. Are you a one hundred percenter or a ten percenter? Babbitt was again without a canon which would enable him to speak with authority. Nothing in motoring or real estate had indicated what a solid citizen and regular fellow ought to think about culture by mail. He began with hesitation. Well sounds as if it covered the ground. Certainly is a fine thing to be able to orate i sometimes thought i had a little talent that way myself and i know darn well that one reason why a four-flushing old back number like chan mott can get away with it in real estate is just because he can make a good talk even when he hasn't got a doggone thing to say and it certainly is pretty cute the way they get out all those courses on various topics and subjects nowadays i'll tell you though no need to blow a lot of good money on this stuff when you can get a first-rate course in eloquence and english and all that right now in your own school and one of the biggest school buildings in the entire country that's so said mrs babbitt comfortably while ted complained yeah but dad they just teach a lot of old junk that isn't any practical use except the manual training and typewriting and basketball and dancing And in these correspondence courses, gee, you can get all kinds of stuff that would come in handy. Say, listen to this one. Can you play a man's part? If you are walking with your mother, sister, or best girl, and someone passes a slighting remark or uses improper language, won't you be ashamed if you can't take her part? Well, can you? We teach boxing and self-defense by mail. Many pupils have written saying that after a few lessons. They've outboxed bigger and heavier opponents. The lessons start with simple movements practiced before your mirror, holding out your hand for a coin, the breaststroke in swimming, etc. Before you realize it, you are striking scientifically, ducking, guarding, and feigning, just as if you had a real opponent before you. Oh, baby, maybe I wouldn't like that, Ted chanted. I'll tell the world, gosh, I'd like to take one fellow I know in school that's— "'always shooting off his mouth and catching him alone.' "'Nonsense. The idea. Most useless thing I ever heard of.' "'Babbitt. It. "'Well, just suppose I was walking with Mamma or Roan, "'and somebody passed a slutting remark or used improper language. "'What would I do?' "'Why, well, you'd probably bust the record for the hundred-yard dash.' "'I would not. I'd stand right up to any mucker "'that passed a sliding remark on my sister, and I'd show him.' "'Look here, young Dempsey.' "'If I ever catch you fighting, I'll whale the everlasting daylights out of you, "'and I'll do it without practising holding out my hand for a coin before a mirror, too.' "'Why, Ted, dear,' Mrs. Babbitt said placidly, "'it's not at all nice you're talking of fighting this way.' "'Well, gosh almighty, that's a fine way to appreciate, "'and then suppose I was walking with you, Ma, "'and somebody passed a slighting remark.' nobody's going to pass no sliding remarks on nobody babbitt observed not if they stay home and study their geometry and mind their own affairs instead of hanging out round a lot of pool rooms and soda fountains and places where nobody got any business to be but gar Dad, if they did mrs babbitt chirped well if they did i wouldn't do them the honor of paying any attention to them besides they never do you always hear about these women that get followed and insulted and all but i don't believe a word of it or it's their own fault the way some women look at a person i certainly never have been insulted by Ah, oh, shoot mother just suppose you were sometime. just suppose can't you suppose something can't you imagine things certainly i can imagine things the idea certainly mother can imagine things and suppose things think you're the only member of this household that's got imagination?' Babbitt demanded. "'But what's the use of a lot of supposing? Supposing never gets you anywhere. No sense supposing when there's a lot of real facts to take into consider. "'Look here, Dad. Suppose—I mean, just—just just suppose you were in your office and some rival real estate man—' "'Realtor?' "'Some realtor that you hated came in.' "'I don't hate any realtor.' "'But suppose you did?' i don't intend to suppose anything of the kind there's plenty of fellows in my profession that stoop and hate their competitors but if you were a little older and understood business instead of always going on to the movies and running around with a lot of fool girls with their dresses up to their knees and powdered and painted and rouged and god knows what all as if they were chorus girls then you'd know and you'd suppose that if there's any one thing i stand for in the real estate circles of zenith it is that we ought to always speak of each other only in the friendliest terms and institute a spirit of brotherhood and cooperation. And so I certainly can't suppose and I can't imagine my hating any other realtor, not even that dirty four flushin' society sneak, Cecil Roundtree. But and there's no if and or but about it. But if I were going to lambast somebody, I wouldn't require any fancy ducks or swimming strokes before a mirror, or any of these doodads and flip-flops. Suppose you were out in some place and a fellow called you vile names. Think you'd want to box and jump around like a dancing master? You'd just lay him out cold. At least I certainly hope any son of mine would. And then you'd dust off your hands and go on about your business. And that's all there is to it and you aren't going to have any boxing lessons by mail either well but yes i just wanted to show how many different kinds of correspondence courses there are instead of all the camber they teach us in the high but i thought they taught you boxing in the school gymnasium that's different they stick you up and some big stiff amuses himself pounding the stuffing's out of you before you have a chance to learn okay, not any but anyway listen to some of these others the advertisements were truly philanthropic one of them bore the rousing headline money 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 the second announced that mr p r formerly making only eighteen a week in a barber shop writes to us that since taking our course he is now pulling down five thousand as an osteovitalic physician and the third that miss j l recently a rapper in a store is now getting ten real dollars a day teaching our hindu system of vibratory breathing and mental control ted had collected fifty or sixty announcements from annual reference books from sunday school periodicals, fiction magazines and journals of discussion one benefactor implored don't be a wallflower be more popular and make more money you can ukulele or sing yourself into society by the secret principles of a newly discovered system of music teaching any one man lady or child can without tiresome exercises special training or long-drawn-out study and without waste of time money or energy learn to play by note piano banjo cornet clarinet saxophone violin or drum and learn sight-singing the next under the wistful appeal "Fingerprint detectives wanted big incomes confided you red-blooded men and women this is the profession you have been looking for there's money in it big money And that rapid change of scene that entrancing and compelling interest and fascination which your active mind and adventure spirit crave think of being the chief figure and directing factor in solving strange mysteries and baffling crimes this wonderful profession brings you into contact with influential men on the basis of equality and often calls upon you to travel everywhere maybe to distant lands all expenses paid no special education required oh boy i guess that wins a firebrick necklace wouldn't it be swell to travel everywhere and nab some famous crook whooped ted well, i don't think much of that doggone likely to get hurt still that music study stunt might be pretty fair though there's no reason why if efficiency experts put their minds to it the way they have to routing products in a factory they couldn't figure out some scheme so a person wouldn't have to monkey with all this practicing and exercising that get in music babbitt was impressed and he had a delightful parental feeling that they two the men of the family understood each other he listened to the notices of mail-box universities which taught short story writing improving the memory motion-picture acting and developing the soul power banking and spanish chairpotty and photography electrical engineering and window trimming poultry raising and chemistry Well, wow, well wow. Babbitt sought for adequate expression of his admiration. I'm a son of a gun. I know this correspondence school business had become a mighty profitable game. Makes suburban real estate look like two cents. But I didn't realize it had got to be such a key industry. Must rank right up there with groceries and movies. Always figured somebody would come along with the brains not to leave education to a lot of bookworms and impractical theorists, but make a big thing out of it yes i can see how a lot of those courses might interest you i must ask the fellows of athletics if they ever realized but same time ted you know how advertisers i mean some advertisers exaggerate i don't know as they'd be able to jam you through those courses as fast as they claim they can oh sure Dad, of course ted had the immense and joyful maturity of a boy who is respectfully listened to by his elders Babbitt concentrated on him with grateful affection. "'I can see what an influence these courses might have "'on the whole educational works. "'Of course, I'd never admit it publicly. "'Fellow like myself, a State-U graduate. "'It's only decent and patriotic for him to blow his horn "'and boost an alma mater. "'But smarter of fact, there's a whole lot of valuable time "'lost even at the U, studying poetry and French and subjects "'that never brought in anybody a cent.' i don't know but what maybe these correspondence courses might prove to be one of the most important american inventions trouble with a lot of folks they're so blame material they don't see the spiritual and mental side of american supremacy they think that inventions like the telephone and airplane and wireless no that was a wop invention but anyway they think these mechanical improvements are all that we stand for whereas to a real thinker he sees that spiritual and uh, dominating movements like efficiency and rotarianism and prohibition and democracy are what compose our deepest and truest wealth, and maybe this new principle in education at home may be another way of BE another factor. I'll tell you, Ted, we've got to have vision. I think those correspondence courses are terrible. The philosophers gasped. It was Mrs. Babbitt who had made this discord in their spiritual harmony and one of miss babbitt's virtues was that except during dinner-parties when she was transformed into a raging hostess she took care of the house and didn't bother the males by thinking she went on firmly it sounds awful to me the way they coax these poor young folks to think they're learning something and nobody round to help them and you two learn so quick but me i always was slow but just the same babbitt attended to her nonsense Get just as much studying at home? You don't think a fellow learns any more because he blows in his father's hard-earned money and sits around in Morris chairs in a swell Harvard dormitory with pictures and shields and table covers and no doodads, do you? I tell you, I'm a college man, I know. There is one objection you might make, though. I certainly do protest against any effort to get a lot of fellows out of barber shops and factories into the professions. They're too crowded already and what'll we do for workmen if all those fellows go and get educated ted was leaning back smoking a cigarette without reproof he was for the moment sharing the high thin air of babbitt's speculation as though he were a paul riesling or even dr howard littlefield he hinted well what do you think then dad wouldn't it be a good idea if i could go off to china or some peppy place and study engineering or something by mail no and i'll tell you why son i've found out it's a mighty nice thing to be able to say you're a a B.A. some client that doesn't know what you are and thinks you're just a plucked business man he gets to shooting off his mouth about economics or literature or foreign trade conditions and you just ease in something like when i was in college of course i got my b a in sociology and all that junk oh it puts an awful crimp in their style but there wouldn't be any class to saying, I got the degree of sticker licker from Benz's Mail Order University, you see. My dad was a pretty good old coot, but he never had much style to him, and I had to work darn hard to earn my way through college. Well, it's been worth it to be able to associate with the finest gentlemen in zenith at the clubs and so on, and I wouldn't want you to drop out of the gentleman class, the class that are just as red-blooded as common people but still have power and personality. It would kind of hurt me if you did that, old man. I know, Dan. Sure. All right. I'll stick to it. Say, gosh, gee whiz. I forgot all about those kids I was going to take to the chorus rehearsal. I'll have to duck. But you haven't done your homework. Do it first thing in the morning. Well, six times in the past 60 days, Babbitt had stormed. You will not do it first thing in the morning. You'll do it right now but tonight he said well better hustle his smile was the rare shy radiance he kept for paul Risling. four ted's a good boy he said to miss babbitt oh he is who are these girls is going to pick up are they nice decent girls i don't know oh dear ted never tells me anything any more i don't understand what's come over the children of this generation i used to have to tell papa and Mamma everything But it seems like the children today have just slipped away from all control. I hope they're decent girls. Of course, Ted's no longer a kid, and I wouldn't want him to uh, get mixed up in everything. George, I wonder if you had not to take him aside and tell him about things. She blushed and lowered her eyes. Well, I don't know. way I figured it, Myra, no sense suggesting a lot of things to a boy's mind think up enough devilment by himself but i wonder it's kind of a hard question wonder what littlefield thinks about it of course papa agrees with you he says all this instruction is he says tisn't decent oh he does does he well let me tell you that whatever henry t thompson thinks about morals i mean though of course you can't beat the old duffer why what a way to talk of papa simply can't beat him at getting in on the ground floor of a deal. But let me tell you, whenever he springs any ideas about higher things and education, then I know I think just the opposite. You may not regard me as any great brain shark, but believe me, I'm a regular college president compared to Henry T. Yes, sir, by golly, I'm going to take Ted aside and tell him why I lead a strictly moral life. Oh, will you? When? 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 What's the use of trying to pin me down to when and why and where and how and when? That's the trouble with women. That's why they don't make a high class executives. They haven't any sense of diplomacy. When the proper opportunity and occasion arises, so it just comes in natural, why then I'll have a friendly little talk with him and was that Tinka hollering upstairs? She ought to be asleep long ago. He prowled through the living room and stood in the sun parlor. That glass-walled room of wicker chairs and swinging couch in which they loafed on Sunday afternoons. Outside, only the light of Doppelbrow's house and the dim presence of Babbitt's favorite elm broke the softness of April night. Good business with the boy. Getting over feeling cranky the way I did this morning and restless. Though, by golly, I will have a few days alone with Paul in Maine and that devil Zilla. But, Dad's all right. Whole family's all right good business. Not many fellows make four hundred and fifty bucks practically half of a thousand dollars easy as I did today. Maybe when we all get to rowing, it's just as much my fault as it is theirs. Hard to get grouchy like a do, but wish I'd been a pioneer, same as my granddad. Then wouldn't have a house like this. Oh, gosh, I don't know. He thought moodily of Paul Risling of their youth together, of the girls they had known, when Babbitt had graduated from the State University twenty-four years ago. He had intended to be a lawyer. He had been a ponderous debater in college. He felt that he was an orator. He saw himself becoming governor of the State. While he read law, he worked as a real-estate salesman. He saved money, lived in a boarding house, supped on poached egg and hash. The lively Paul Riesling, who was going off to Europe to study violin next month or next year was his refuge till paul was bespelled by Zilla kolbeck who laughed and danced and drew men after her plump and gaily wagging finger babbitt's evenings were barren then and he found comfort only in paul's second cousin ira thompson a sleek and gentle girl who showed her capacity by agreeing with the ardent young babbitt that of course he was going to be governor some day where Zilla mocked him as a country boy Myra said indignantly that he was ever so much soldier than the young Dandies, who had been born in the great city of Zenith, an ancient settlement in 1897, one hundred and five years old, with two hundred thousand population, the queen and wonder of all the state, and to the Catawba boy, George Babbitt, so vast and thunderous and luxurious that he was flattered to know a girl, ennobled. By birth in zenith. Of love, there was no talk between them. He knew that if he was to study law, he could not marry for years. And myra was distinctly a nice girl. One didn't kiss her. One didn't think about her that way at all, unless one was going to marry her. But she was a dependable companion. She was always ready to go skating, walking, always content to hear his discourses on the great things he was going to do the distressed poor whom he would defend against the unjust rich, the speeches he would make at banquets, the inactitudes of popular thought which he would correct. One evening, when he was weary and soft-minded, he saw that she had been weeping. She had been left out of a party given by Zelia. Somehow her head was on his shoulder, and he was kissing away her tears, and she raised her head to say trustingly, now that we're engaged, shall we be married? Soon or shall we wait? Engaged? It was his first hint of it. His affection for this brown, tender woman went cold and fearful, but he could not hurt her, could not abuse her trust. He mumbled something about waiting and escaped. He walked for an hour, trying to find a way of telling her that it was a mistake. Often in the month after, he got near to telling her but it was pleasant to have a girl in his arms, and less and less could he insult her by blurting out that he didn't love her. He himself had no doubt. The evening before his marriage was an agony, and the morning wild with a desire to flee. She made him what is known as a good wife. She was loyal, industrious, and at rare times merry. She passed from a feeble disgust at their closer relations into what promised to be an ardent affection, but it drooped into bored routine. Yet she existed only for him and for the children, and she was as sorry, as worried as himself when he gave up the law and trudged on in a rut of listing real estate. "'Poor kid! She hasn't had much better time than I have,' Babbitt reflected, standing in the dark sun-parlour. But I wish I could have had a whirl at law and politics. Seen what I could do. Well, maybe I've made more money as it is. He returned to the living room, but before he settled down, he smoothed his wife's hair. She glanced up, happy and somewhat surprised. End of chapter 6